Today's episode is brought to you by the new Yelp for Restaurants. In July 2020, hundreds of hospitality professionals and enthusiasts at Yelp banded together to create a new team dedicated entirely to the betterment of restaurants. Check out our latest project together, the Restaurant Marketing School podcast at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash marketing school or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here we go. One of my mantras is build marketing into the product from the beginning of everything you do. That is what separates so many great companies versus never hand marketing a product and say, go sell it. Mm -hmm. You're already on the back leg if you did that. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. Who's the most important person in your restaurant? On a busy Saturday night, it's the dishwasher. Because if the dishwasher doesn't show up, you're the dishwasher. To make his job easier and our operation more efficient, we've upgraded to Dawn Professional Pot and Pan. Dawn Professional cleans 58% more pots and pans per sink, using less soap and resulting in fewer changeovers. Save time and money with Dawn Professional. It's clean, upgraded. It wasn't just independent restaurants that have suffered through the pandemic. Many of the big guys were hurt too. Their big advantage is that they have more money to try more things and we can benefit from the wisdom of their experiences. Today, we chat with Jay Livingston, the Chief Marketing Officer of Shake Shack, to discuss what's working, what isn't, and what's next. It's very interesting. People ask me all the time, like, your career really makes no sense. And I say, well, it makes perfect sense to me. I know it doesn't make sense to a lot of people from the outside. A couple of things kind of brought me to Shake Shack. One is, I believe, is sort of a great marketer. If you can sell something, you can sell everything. And if you have a lot of passion for what you do and what you sell, you can find ways to do it. And I'm also a believer, and I think Randy Garuti, our CEO, and Danny Meyer, our founder and chairman, also appreciate bringing in different point of views into the business now that we're really scaling. Because the company was founded by restaurateurs. It's at the core of who we are. Many folks on the executive team, most folks on the executive team and at the senior levels of the company are restaurateurs by trade. But I think they realize that, hey, as we scale, we really need to bring in folks that have seen different things, best practices from different industries, best practices from other retailers that have really scaled up and try to bring that into the mix. Because while we always want to be culinarily led, we want to have that sort of added thoughtfulness and experience in these other areas to create a mix that really allows us to scale. So I really appreciate that they appreciate that about me, that I don't have a restaurant background, even though I started, my first job was at Olive Garden in Knoxville, Tennessee as a busboy. So I have that. How many endless breadsticks did you eat, Jay? You can't even imagine how much money they lost on a 15-year-old eating breadsticks all day. So it was great. And I love burgers and shakes. And I've always found that to be sort of an iconic American thing. I've always said, I only want to be work at companies that have three criteria. They're consumer-facing. They make a physical product that brings people joy. So those are the three things I look at. Before this, I was at BarkBox as a dog company shares all those things, right? And that's always been really important to me and kind of a mantra I've followed. 
Was there any apprehension going into the role? You were the first chief marketing officer for Shake Shack, which I don't know if I would feel comfortable being the first anything, especially in like a billion dollar corporation. I did make a joke when I was interviewing for this position that I didn't want to work for a founder led company in many ways, because when you come in and you're the guy trying to create change in a founder led business, right? That founder has very, very distinct ideas about what the company is and has often been told this will never work. And the skill set that's gotten them to that point is them saying, you know what? It is going to work. I'm not going to listen to anyone else. And it worked. So that's always been sort of a hesitancy I had for my next position. And I got to say, I really felt Randy and Danny, per my earlier comments, were so interested to learn. We're very open to additional ideas. They have a lot of core beliefs and strong feelings about what the brand should be and shouldn't be, what the experience should be and shouldn't be. But within that, they are really open to like, additional feedback. So they made me feel very comfortable. And I felt like the things that I brought here, they may not have had as much exposure to. And so I felt pretty confident in my experience of growing businesses that I would be able to be helpful to Shake Shack. And so, so far, at least, I think that's worked out well. And a lot of the sort of scaling experience I had, it seems to have transitioned well to this company. That's what I wanted to unpack next is when you walked into the company, you obviously thought to yourself, I've got a lot to offer here. Where did you see those initial opportunities to contribute in a meaningful way? One of the things that has made Shake Shack special and is part of our DNA is we were a very instinctually led business. We were developed from Danny Meyer's instinct and Randy's instinct. And that has been something that has always led a lot of our decision-making. What I've always joked is if I'm the CMO and I have an opinion and the CEOs has an opinion and we argue, we know whose opinion is going to win, right? So what I have to do is bring facts and data to that opinion. And I don't want to shift us to be a data-driven company, but I do want us to put more facts into our decision-making. And so when I interviewed here, I said the first person I would hire would be a guest insights and analytics person to come in and start to build out that function. And we've done that. We hired a great person who's built a team there and we're still a long way from being complete, but she has really built a data functionality so we can start to understand the analytics side of the business and complement our instincts. So not letting the instincts shift us in the wrong direction because we have a good foundation of facts to support those decisions. And then from the context of storytelling, because marketing ultimately is the art of storytelling in a compelling way. How did you want to see the consumer's vision of Shake Shack evolve under your leadership? What were your goals relative to that? I'd say two things right off the bat. One is what makes great storytelling and what frankly makes a great brand is emotion. And so having emotion as part of that story, you never watch a movie that you didn't feel anything that you said was a phenomenal movie. And there's that line that people won't remember what you said or what you did. They'll remember how you made them feel. So what I want to make sure with Shake Shack and where I want to keep evolving us is there's so much passion around this brand. There is so much emotion from the people who work here and the people that are fans. And I want to extrapolate that emotion out. I want to show it 
so that we don't get into too much food porn on the Instagram account, that we're showing people having uplifting experiences and having fun and having emotion, that we convey that and not fall back on pretty images, right? So I would say that would be a big piece of where I wanted to take this. The second part that I was really focused on is a lot of people cannot repeat back why they like Shake Shack so much. They know they like it, but they're not exactly sure why, especially as we expand out of New York and sort of the the coastal markets where we've gotten started. And what really separates us in many ways is our ingredients. And it's a thing that we just have not talked about enough. I say all the time with any kind of business, the company usually gets tired of the story way before the consumer does. So we take it for granted that people know the care and the expense and everything that we put into our ingredients, but we don't tell people enough. We don't tell our guests and we don't tell consumers enough. And so I'm really focused on, you know, our food raises the bar in this space. I mean, we come out of fine dining. It's a fine dining burger and we want to make sure folks know that. So I've tried to kind of keep pushing our team to tell that story more and more. I think that's such a great point that founders get tired of their stories long before consumers do. Totally (laughs) resonates. Digital has obviously become a huge part of everyone's corporate strategy at this point. What was your position? What was your take on digital prior to the pandemic? And how has that perspective changed in the last 10 months? Well, digital was about 15% of our business pre-COVID. And by digital, I define that as orders from our app, web, and delivery. And that basically flip-flopped once COVID hit. So you can imagine if we had a certain investment and focus on digital prior, that accelerated by about whatever that number is five times once we hit, because we realized it was going to be our lifeblood. And as I've talked about a lot, it's not just that we've added more digital capabilities and we've invested more there. It's a new business model. Like we're not going to go back anywhere near to 15% for digital ordering. I don't believe even in normal times, it's not going to be 85, but it may not go below 50. So that's something that we are very focused on developing a better experience How do you bring an uplifting experience to digital so that it's not purely transactional? You've got to invest there, right? That costs more money to personalize your messaging, to personalize the experience. And we got to make sure it works. It just works better. And if it does, it's a weapon. It really separates us from so many places. And that's what we're hugely focused on. We've invested a lot there. And we don't think it goes away once COVID does. Because it's not a pivot. It's a legitimate evolution of the business model over time. It sped it up. What I would say is that we knew we needed to do a lot of the things that we did. And we're launching a new app and web, basically a whole web platform over the next month and a half to two months. We knew we were going to do that, but we didn't know we were going to do it this fast. And it made us really say, well, it's time to really bite the bullet and get moving on this. You guys have done some really, really cool things over the last 10 months, whether it's like Shack Camp or the do-it-yourself kit that you guys did with Gold Belly. Were these programs that were already in the works or were they born out of the pandemic? Totally born out of the pandemic, both of those. Gold Belly promo, we thought about doing Shack packs and selling them online before. We were always a little bit nervous about, does that take away from our experience when you can only get it in a Shake Shack and now we sell it online. I've joked in New York City, there are a lot of couples live in New York City where one of the couple 
really wanted to live in the city and the other person kind of wanted to live in the burbs and the person that wanted to live in the city was winning. And then when COVID broke out, the person that was living <laughs> in the burbs, that person started winning, right? And so you've seen some people leave. I think that same thing was our feeling on gold billing shack packs, which was we were always debating it. And we realized that this was an opportunity to get into more folks' hands and that it was worth that. And we don't think we've seen that. So that was a big thing. In building off of that, I would assume, especially running such a big machine, how are you able to tell what marketing efforts are genius and which ones are, let's say, less so? Sometimes you don't know because I'll talk. The other one you asked about is Shack Camp. Shack Camp was we were launching a product right in the middle of the summer that just didn't make sense all of a sudden during COVID. It wasn't right. And we said, man, what do we got to do? We want to stay in the conversation. We want to stay in the fabric of the conversation. We want to be relevant. And our guests are sort of hurting. Like, what can we do to provide some entertainment? And we had this idea about what would a shack camp look like? What could you do with your family that you could let your kids participate in? And we cobbled together this box. We'd never sold a box of anything before. We assembled the box. We put a whole series of videos around it. And it was a total shot in the dark, not like anything we'd done before, not like anything I've actually seen any restaurant do before. And I got to say, it was great for us on the brand, and it cost us a lot of money because it turns out it's hard to build a box and sell that well and efficiently if you're a restaurant within a six-week period of time like we did. And I would say, I look back at that, and I love that we took the chance on it. And I think we got a lot of like cool feedback. But we lost some money on that box in the middle of COVID. And that's one of those things that it's a good learning. When you try to stretch out of your comfort areas and so forth, it can be tough. But those are the risks you got to take. We want to be opportunistic. We want to pounce on things when we see them. And, you know, while that wasn't a failure, that aspect of losing a little bit of money on the boxes was. And you got to learn from those failures. If you take chances, some of them will hit, some of them will miss. But we just never want to be boring or not in the conversation. That's going to be my next question is in being part of the conversation, do you chase trends? Do you look at trends and say, oh, you know, we could have Danny do a TikTok dance this week. We'll see how that works out. I definitely don't think we ever chase trends. What I would say is I hate talking about myself this way because I sound old now, but I've been doing this for a while. And there's always that new thing in marketing. Eyeballs are always shifting at a fundamental level. Marketing is about getting eyeballs on whatever you're doing. It's about getting people to pay attention. Where their attention goes is always shifting. And I love it how there's this dialogue of, well, now it's TikTok. So everything that's come before is wrong. And before that, it was Snapchat. And before that, it was Facebook. And there's influencers. And it's always changing. It went from newspapers to radio to television. And the next one is always going to kill the last one. It almost never does. We tend to overestimate the impact of these new channels in the short term and sometimes underestimate them in the long term. But marketing is about being adaptable to those channels and going where the eyeballs are. So I just think that's part of the course of being a marketer and being a business, which is if people are out there doing something, if they're watching influencers and paying attention to influencers, I'm not going to fight that because I have some sort of principle around I don't believe anyone should be able to just have that much influence. <laughs> you know, no, my job is to make sure if millions of people are following an influencer, I hope that influencer loves and is talking about Shake Shack. 
it's so easy to, and it's happened to me so many times over my career. It's so easy to be distracted with the Facebooks and the Instagrams and all of that. But in this moment, especially with all of the digital assets you're creating, you're still able to go back to the tried and true method of communicating with people, which is directly through email. The companies that we've seen flourish during the pandemic are the ones that had direct access to their own customers, right? Email is huge. We have a huge email list and we put a lot of energy and time into that. And we try to put out content that's great. And just like we do everywhere. I mean, I do think that some of these electronic mediums are game changers, right? Like if you did not develop an Instagram, first a Facebook presence, and then later an Instagram presence, and you sort of were stodgy in that, it probably cost you because that's where the eyeballs are. So you do need to focus on those things, but you also need to look at your math and say, well, if we have a million email subscribers and we have open rates of around 10% per email, what is that engagement worth versus posting something on my Instagram to 200,000 followers that only 5,000 of them will even glance at? So sometimes they bucket all these things together. And what we're always looking at is where are people looking and what's making them do something? What's making them transact? And email is pretty good for that, especially if you have great content out there. So yeah, I think that's where the data really comes into the feel of it. And then taking your chances on testing out some of these new channels to see if your product is engaging on them. Well, and I think one important thing to highlight for the people listening is that, especially through email, you guys have really made a name for yourself by leading with value. It's less about this is what we're doing and why you should patronize the restaurant and more about here's something you might find interesting or entertaining or informative. I think going back to storytelling, right? Like great content is what are we bringing you as the viewer? Is this a value to you? or to us, and it needs to be to the guest or the reader. We had a phrase years ago from a boss that he said, don't ever speak to the ego of the institution. And I think about that all the time, and I see that so much where there's this chest thumping. It's a, The message is about us, and the message in great content is about the reader. What are you bringing to them? What is interesting? If it's not interesting, why are you saying it? Because you're only hurting the option to get their attention the next time. And so we really try to only bring things that are going to be of value in some way, because I think that's what separates great content from not so great content. Now I'd like to play pretend with you for a minute. If you were hired by a restaurateur to run their marketing operations for their small business, if there was like a day one checklist you'd run through, what would that look like? Well, one is, I'll tell you, so I'm also an angel investor on the side. I've been for 13 years in New York City, and I've learned so much about investing and sometimes advising in these growth companies that are in different industries. And it's so great to see what makes them work, what makes them not work, see what cutting edge kind of things they're into. Like I got into paid social years ago programmatic marketing on Facebook and Instagram and saw the benefit of that really early. And then we did it in a huge way at BarkBox. And we've really built a lot of that machine at Shake Shack, which has been great for us. But what I would say to every entrepreneur, when I consider an angel investor, I say, what is it that makes you think people want this product? That is my first question. If the answer is, I just know, 
that people will want this, or I've always wanted this, or people should want this. <laughs> that is not enough because we all don't know what's going to resonate or not resonate. The customers will tell you with their actions, with momentum. And then I think the job of any restaurant or business is to pour gasoline on that momentum. And what I would say is, what are the things that naturally, authentically work about your business? And what are the things that are a constant fight, but you stick with because you think someday somebody is going to like it? And let's lean into those things that work and let's pull back on those things that don't work. Because I'll give you another great Southern phrase. I know you're a Southern guy. Always fatten the fat pig, not the skinny pig. <laughs> and I love that term, right? Like you try to fatten a skinny pig, it's generally a difficult proposition. If you've got a propensity the other direction, you're going to have more luck. And I think that's the same thing. Lean into the things that are really working. And so I would look at any restaurant and say, what's working here? What are people naturally gravitating to? And what's an uphill push? What's an uphill climb that I'm spending so much of my time on? Follow that 85-15 rule and get 85% behind what's working. So that's the first thing I'd look at. Again, in tech, you'd call that product market fit. Where is the product market fit? And then I would say, what distinguishes us from everybody else? What makes us different? In marketing parlance, it would be, what's your competitive point of differentiation? Too many places that I go to they don't know what it is. And as a guest, you can't see it. It's not obvious to you. Just having good food, just having a cool space, just having hospitable servers, it's not enough. Those things are all important. But what you really need is something that differentiates you because that's what people tend to remember. So I'd say those two things are the first thing I would attack. And I think there's also something to be said for people generally think that marketing is generating consumer demand. When if there's no demand, it's never going to work. You're never going to make people want what you do. Either they want it or they don't. Marketing is more about creating awareness for how you are able to facilitate their existing demand. Yeah, I'd even take it one step further. And I'd say one of my mantras is build marketing into the product from the beginning of everything you do. That is what separates so many great companies versus never hand marketing a product and say, go sell it. Mm -hmm. You're already on the back leg if you did that. I want to be in the kitchen thinking about the items we make and thinking about what makes this interesting. Where is the story here? Like sometimes it'll be something that we think is so cool. We're just going to do it because we're way ahead of the curve on something. But for the most part, I think it's important to think about how are you going to tell the story of this thing? And that's going to make it go so much better. So yeah, building marketing in the product is a huge component, not just for restaurants, but for any business if they think about selling. What do you think independent restaurateurs could learn from the marketing efforts of Shake Shack? Well, one, I hope they think about those two things I mentioned, which is competitive differentiation and like, what is it that makes them so unique? Like when we came into this category, it's not that we were doing anything crazy, but we were really bringing a fine dining burger and food into a fast, casual environment. And nobody had really done that before. Lots of folks have copied us and tried it. And now we just keep having to do it better and make sure we're doing it better and better. We elevate it and we elevate everything we do. So 
I would come back to that thing of like, what is it that makes you special? And then how do you get that in front of people in your community or neighborhood? I had a great conversation with Rick Gomez, who's the CMO of Target a couple of weeks ago. He's somebody that I've always really admired. And he made the comment to me that like when people say it's my target, they know they won versus a target. And I think of the same thing with Shake Shack. When somebody says, that's my Shake Shack, like that's where I go. Because people will come up to me all the time when they find out where I work. Oh, my Shake Shack is in Coral Gables or the Upper West Side or in Cal Hollow or wherever that may be. We want to feel local because we are local. We do local partnerships with chefs and collabs all the time. We feature local things on the menu and our concretes and various places. And so what is it that connects you to your neighborhood? What makes you special? Because if you succeed as a neighborhood restaurant, like most single restaurant operators will, just worry about your neighborhood. There's plenty of guests right within walking distance that build your foundation. The other thing, I read this in a Harvard Business Review study years ago, way before I ever thought I'd work at a restaurant. And I thought about this over and over. They did this big study where restaurants spend way more money on trying to attract new guests than they do taking care of their current guests, who are the ones that are actually spreading word of mouth and telling everybody. And so a great example of that is they took a bunch of restaurants that spent $10,000 on billboards, try to get new guests. And they took another group of restaurants and they said, give every customer that you've seen twice a free dessert. Walk up to them and just give them a free dessert and thank them for eating there. And of course, you know where this is going. The free dessert like absolutely crushed the billboard spend. And it's so easy to do. Your best guests are the ones, again, it's that 80-20 rule, that they are spreading the word about you more than anything you can do on your own. And you want to take advantage of those connectors, those people that are great about out there talking about you, et cetera. It's worth so much more than trying to buy advertising to get new traffic. Just take care of your own folks and they'll spread the word. And that's a big point of emphasis I think I would make. What's next for you and Shake Shack in 2021? Well, we're going to continue to evolve our digital capabilities. We're going to continue to launch some awesome new products, which we're excited about in the shack. Our culinary team and our chefs are always working on like fun things coming. I can't talk about too many of them for the summer, but we've got some coming out that are going to be great. And then we're going to launch a loyalty program at some point late in the year. And that's one thing that we haven't done from the digital side and we're really excited about. It takes a lot of work to do one of those well and do one right, but we want to do that. And so those are three areas we're super focused on. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I'd like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any words of advice or encouragement for the folks listening? With all this stuff I've said, the last thing that I think has gotten Shake Shack to where it is, a part of getting Shake Shack to where it is, and has seen so many restaurants like where I live in the West Village in New York City, the difference between success and failure is often just the doggedness of the owners to not accept defeat. And obviously, that's a hugely caveated statement where there are all kinds of factors beyond any business owner's control, their landlords or their lease, or did they have enough street space for outdoor dining, like tons of things outside of their control. But with that said, I see how the people at Shake Shack work and how they work now for 15 years. And it is full blood, sweat, and tears and dedication and commitment. And that's such a hallmark of the restaurant industry. And 
I hate when I see where that's not enough, but that also often does separate the survivors from the ones that don't, which is they just absolutely worked hard and made it through and made them tougher coming out of it. And so I think that is something that it's not as PC to say these days, but it still goes an awfully long way. That's Jay Livingston. For more on Shake Shack, go to shakeshack.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Copel. You've been listening to Full Comp.